And our scripture passage today is from Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 10. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. My name is Nathan Dix. I'm the RUF, which stands for Reformed University Fellowship Campus Minister at Boston University. Uh, we'll talk about the already and not yet in a little bit, but we are, as a church, in the already and not yet. We have a pastor who's coming in May, praise be to God, uh, but we are in the not yet of he's not yet here. So. In the meantime, we've heard from uh, some um, different preachers. We, uh, tonight, or, or today, this morning, I'm going to be piggybacking. Uh, if you remember, we looked at Ezra 3, and we looked at work, and how this building of the temple kind of gives us uh, a lot of uh, interesting things to know about how God views our work as restoration. And in between, we had, um, I think Matt Owens talked about uh, resting in God in our anxiety. Daniel Pack last week talked about uh, resting in God as our father in the midst of shame. Um, and so it seems that there's a theme. Um, this morning we're going to look at Hebrews 4 on the topic of rest. Um, resting in God. Now, when we speak of rest, it probably brings up a lot of associations. Physical rest, sleep has already been brought up this morning, um, but I think it always shocks us with the sense of how much rest is elusive. Rest is something that seems to always be on the other side, and those, those goalposts are always moving. Once I get that, then I'll be able to rest. Once I finish this, then I'll be able to truly rest. Uh, it's been said often that we in Boston and Cambridge live in a a uh, place of experts. Um, if, unless you're an, an MGH uh, sleep specialist, um, I don't know if any of us in here would claim to be an expert on rest. Rest is, is very difficult uh, to achieve. Uh, we talk about uh, busyness, being exhausted. Um, there are many reasons for us to be exhausted. Even if you find yourself prone to uh, over-resting uh, or being good at rest, a lot of times you find yourself resting in that way by numbing 
by wanting to disconnect, to turn off, uh, to forget the things that are important. Um, whether, it's, whether it's binging a show, whether it's just uh, through food, substances, we just want to turn off. Um, we still long, even after times when we engage in that kind of seeking of rest, we still long for a deeper rest. And so this morning we're going to talk about that rest. Um, the rest that St. Augustine talks about in his confessions, for thou hast formed us for thyself thyself being God, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. True rest, spiritual rest, rest for our souls in the deepest sense is wrought by God. It comes from God, and God is inviting us into that rest. Let me pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we are tired we are exhausted. It seems that Sundays especially can just be times of just feeling the weight of yet another weekend gone without feeling rest, the Sunday scaries of a week to come with unknowns, with stresses. But Lord, we come here this morning knowing that you are the fountain of living water that you do not grow weary or tired. And we can come to you and receive spiritual nourishment, refreshment. We can be energized to live our lives for you by faith. We pray that that would happen this morning uh, through your word, by your spirit. Lord, soften our hearts to receive your rest. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to look at three things this morning about what went wrong with rest, why is rest so difficult, the first is rest rejected, the second is rest refused, the third is rest received, rejected, refused, received. There we go. I did it. <laughs> three R's. Um, so rest rejected. This passage is, uh, might be a little bit mind-boggling because it, it brings in so many different uh, narratives from Scripture that you kind of have to have one thumb in the Old Testament in order to understand it. This passage in Hebrews 4, which is really, if you want to learn how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament, go to Hebrews. Read this book. Um, it talks about the history of God's people, the Israelites, it references them escaping from slavery by the hand of God. They wandered in the desert, in the wilderness for about 40 years. They're on their way to this promised place of rest, the promised land of God. You'll notice the, the indented quotations in Hebrews 4 come from Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 recounts this period of Jewish history um, and if you keep reading through past the quotation in the psalm, it refers to the specific occasioning of the hardening of the people's hearts, the rebellion at Meribah. And Meribah is this place where the people were thirsty. They were thirsty and they said, when, even when we were slaves in, in Egypt, at least we had water to drink. Has God brought us out into the desert to die? How cruel is he? 
They began to question the goodness of God. And they complained and they grumbled and they rebelled to Moses. And God um, told Moses to strike a rock, the rock at Meribah, and out of it came water. But throughout the, the story of this wilderness wandering of the people of, of God, uh, uh, the Hebrew people, uh, there are many occasions, not just at Meribah, uh, but of them rebelling and saying, it would be better if we were slaves again. And inherent in that rebellion and that complaining was a, a questioning and a doubting of the goodness of God. That God didn't redeem us for anything other than a cruel, sick joke. In Adam and Eve's um, state in the Garden of Eden, uh, they, they were good. Sin had not entered the world. Um, they weren't perfect. They weren't all that God had meant them to be, but they were without sin. They were blameless. And the serpent introduced this question, this doubt. Is God keeping that fruit from you because he doesn't want you to have something good? Is God really looking out for your best interests? Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. They said, yeah, maybe we need to go our own way and take of this good thing that God is keeping from us. In both the, the Israelites' case and in Adam and Eve's case, and in any case of sin, we are in some way doubting the goodness of God. That God's way is not the way that's best for us. And what we are rejecting there is we're rejecting this childlike faith and trust in Him. That even though we're thirsty, even though we're in the desert, in the wilderness, and we don't know where water is going to come from, that we can trust in him, and he can bring it out of a rock. How else do we reject the gift of rest and trust in God? We refuse to just um, enjoy the gift of childlike faith and rest in him. Um, I think physical rest is one of these examples. Psalm 127.2 says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. For whatever reason, this has been seared in my memory and whenever I wake up, I wake up before the rest of my family, this comes to mind. <laughs> and often it's like that beloved sleep. Yes, sleep, I wish I had more of that. And sometimes it's, it's a reminder, hey, I'm waking up anxious. I need to be careful to not eat the bread of anxious toil. Um, God has given us, as it says, Psalm 127.2, for he gives to his beloved sleep. How many times have we rejected that gift and said, you know what? I think I know a better way. I can hack my circadian rhythms. I can hack sleep and figure out a way to do 20-minute naps intermittently. Uh, maybe some of you have tried that through grad school to make it through. In doing so, we are, we are rejecting the, the, the truth, the reality that we are finite, physical creatures, and God gives us sleep. We need it to be refreshed. And yet we reject that gift. We are basically saying, maybe I am more like God than God thinks I am. Maybe I am one of the exceptions that doesn't need 
sleep. Another example, um, Psalm 42.5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Maybe you have experienced not just a feeling of being tired, but you've experienced an unrest deep in your soul. Um, so uh, when I uh, married my wife, we realized that we grew up in, in families that had very different ways of vacationing. And uh, my family, I found out, was uh, a vacation. You go on vacation to actively rest, which meant you're, you're going and you're, seeing, you're walking the Freedom Trail, you're doing everything, you're seeing all the museums, you're, you're doing, doing, doing. Um, and my wife's uh, family is much more sedentary, uh, which I think is actually a good thing. I'm not saying that's... <laughs> they're on the back row. Um, you sit and you enjoy the pool, the beach. And the first few vacations I went on with my wife when we were married um, about eight years ago, I, I, I couldn't handle it. <laughs> I couldn't handle being still. There's one such uh, vacation where uh, we, we joke about this now um, that we'll never go back there, but um, uh, what was this, this gift, this opportunity that we didn't have on our own, it was a gift um, to us, but to go to St. Thomas and to stay in a villa on a cliff overlooking the ocean. Uh, it was a Dutch colonial, beautiful villa, long driveway, palm trees leading up to it, infinity pool with the the pink flowers like kind of overflowing. You know, just absolute paradise. The sun rose over here, the sun set as you drank your cocktail over here um, on, on the west. Um, absolute paradise. There was one time that we, we went on this vacation and I was absolutely in turmoil within myself. Um, I was, was bitter, I was complaining, I was irritable. My soul was not at rest. I think sometimes we can experience this, that there's paradise around us, but hell inside of us. I remember uh, my wife confronting me and saying, what's going on? And I thought it was her fault, <laughs> of course. Um, but afterwards, when I realized it was not her fault, I went to a porch and sat and wept. And I realized I was overwhelmed by something that I couldn't handle. I couldn't do away with. Even paradise of St. Thomas could not alleviate. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? I think in this case, it's not true for, for everyone in every case, but in this case, there were clearly things that I was rejecting. There was a rest that I was rejecting. There was gifts that God had given me that I could be thankful for and that I wasn't giving him praise for. I wasn't enjoying. The next line of that verse in, in the psalm says, Hope in God for I shall again praise him, my salvation. We have a choice when we, we experience that unrest of the soul, the turmoil, where we can despair, we can look to other things to try to, to numb, to try to 
uh, get rid of that feeling of unrest, or we can hope in God and hope that we shall again praise Him, that we shall again give thanks, that we shall remember that He is our Savior. Even when our souls are in turmoil within us, when we experience unrest, God has not changed. God is at rest. And he wants to invite us into that rest. And still, we reject it. Rest refused. So back to Hebrews. When Israel hardened their hearts and despaired of God's provision, how did God respond? This is a, a kind of an ominous, repeated line. If you read 3 and 4 in Hebrews, you'll see that's repeated even more. He says, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Now again, we need to unpack. What, what is this referring to? Well, God's referring to a certain generation of Israelites who did not enter the promised land. Moses being the most memorable one. He was not given, even though he was the one who led the people out of slavery in Egypt, he did not get the experience of walking into the promised land. And just as he wasn't able to, uh, because of his sin, God makes very clear, um, so there was a whole generation of Israelites who were not allowed, that they would die before they would enter the promised land. Joshua, Caleb, and others of a younger generation would cross over the Jordan River and receive the rest of the promised land. But the writer of Hebrews picks this up as something that points to a larger theological and spiritual meaning and theme. He says that there's, there's a rest that's kind of typified by the promised land, by Canaan. And Hebrews, the writer, is, is saying that this is referring to a spiritual rest, a rest that no one yet has fully experienced. Um, it's a, an eternal rest. And if you read Hebrews 4, it's, it's because of their, their lack of faith in God's promises. So if you have the question, well, well is this saying that, that Moses and other Hebrews are, are not in heaven, uh, that, that they truly were rejected, that eternal rest? Um, I don't think the writer of Hebrews is, is, is saying anything other than that. It's only on the basis of their faith that anyone, whether you're an Israelite or a New Testament Christian um, or a Christian today, the basis that anyone enters the eternal rest of God is faith in Christ. And that's the same faith then as it is now. And yet, God refuses to allow some to enter the rest of God. What does this mean? What happens if you don't enter the rest of God? What is the alternative? Um, Jesus uh, often makes us uncomfortable. Uh, one of the, the many occasions on which he makes us uncomfortable is when he speaks of hell. Matthew 13, 42, he describes hell as a fiery furnace 
where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Revelation 14.11 says that the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. Friends, brothers and sisters, the the stakes are high. Uh, There will come a day when there are no second chances of entering the rest of God. These are unavoidable truths in Scripture, but there's more. There's more that's said. In Hebrews 4, 7, they quote Psalm 95, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The writer of Hebrews says that today stands today in this original audience he was writing toward too, but it also stands today, April 3rd, 2022. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There is a chance to enter the eternal rest of God. How do we receive this rest? How can we be saved? I want to look for a moment um, at Hebrews 4, 8 through 10 as we enter into our last uh, point, rest received. Verses 8 through 10 say this, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. I want to first look at how it's referring to the seventh day of creation in Genesis 2 when God rested. It says that he ceased from the work of creation, and something interesting happens here. Every day, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, every day it says, and there was evening and there was morning, the first, second, third, every day it says there's evening and morning. There's a closure to it. On the seventh day, in Genesis 2, you can go look it up, it doesn't say that. What this is pointing towards is that there's an eternal rest of God that he is still in to this day. That God is in this place of satisfaction, of enjoying his creation. He he wasn't just tired of the hard work he had done for the six days and needed a break. No, this is a place of eternal rest. God at rest. The other thing I want to bring up in, this, in these uh, few verses, in verse 8 it says, it mentions Joshua. Now Joshua was the commander of the Lord's armies. He would go in and uh, lead the conquest of the promised land of Canaan. And so he was the successor to Moses' position in Israel. And in Hebrew, his name is Yehoshua, which means God is deliverance. And so God indeed did deliver his people out of slavery. He delivered them out of their wilderness wanderings. He delivered them into that promised land long ago. But this was not eternal rest, right? The Jewish people still had enemies. They still rebelled. The story was not over. But as the book of Hebrews always asks us to look forward to a greater Moses, a greater and more excellent Joshua. And in this case, we're being asked to look forward 
to one who can deliver us finally out of the jaws of eternal death into eternal rest. And his name is Yeshua, deliverer. Joshua, I'm sorry, Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. Yeshua, deliverer. This deliverance is inaugurated now and will one day be fulfilled. I I mentioned we would talk about the already and not yet. Let's look back at verses 8 through 10 once again and notice the tenses here. Verse 8 says, For God would not have spoken of another day later on, a future day. And then verse 9, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, something that's not yet something that's in the future. Verse 10 then changes. It says, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. I had to go back to some English grammar resources and remember that this is the, the, the present perfect. The present perfect is talking about a continuing action that began in the past. This is the already It's saying that as Christians, by faith, we can enter now into the rest of God. There can be rest for our souls now by faith. We can receive God's rest. We can receive, in other words, God himself and the Holy Spirit that gives us otherwise inexplicable peace amidst storms around us. How do we take hold of this? By faith, we receive with open hands. It's not something we we strive. It's not not something we, we bring something to earn it. It's something we receive by sheer, sheer grace. If you are not a Christian, you can receive this by faith. If you are a Christian, how do you receive more and more of the eternal rest of God? Well, what you're doing right now is a good way to start. Experiencing the Sabbath rest of what it means to get a taste of heaven uh, with the people of God, uh, eating the Lord's Supper, drinking the wine, singing his praises, remembering to give thanks, even in the midst of our sorrow, hearing his word. These are ways that we can experience again and again, because we know we need it again and again, the eternal rest of God. I don't want to leave it just at, at spiritual practices or things like coming to church on Sunday. There are many good gifts that God has given you that you should avail yourself of in common grace ways. Uh, ways that we can learn how to rest, that we can seek mental health counseling, that we can seek emotional health, that we can rehabilitate our bodies to be able to rest. I don't want to overlook those as God's gifts. And some of us need to avail ourselves of those and receive them. We often think that the, the only time we experience rest is on vacation. I, I want to close with a, a, a vacation time that was actually really good. It wasn't at St. Thomas. It was just in Florida. It wasn't a, a private 
Dutch colonial villa, but it was still amazing. Uh, I was able to receive uh, the rest of uh, two and a half hour naps for my boys and nap during that time of simple things like going on bike rides. There is progress, at least for me. I, I hope you know I'm someone who, who struggles with this as well, but I think we live in an interesting time when you can travel only a, a day or two and the situation, you're, you're not going to vacation on Florida, uh, to Florida or anywhere. Uh, we live in a time where you can um, travel just a day and there can be war around you. Where you can travel to, to China and be a Christian there and you experience incredible persecution. And this is the test. Is the rest of God something that can hold up even in those circumstances? Paul Peng, a Chinese house church pastor, tells a story. I'll just quote him. Uh, he says, Aunt Yang Jinfei was imprisoned for the Lord many years. She was imprisoned for her faith, a member of the Chinese house church. She shared that she used to be a very timid child, afraid even to cross a great hall in her family's house at night. In other words, she was afraid of the dark. Later, when she was in a labor camp, she was assigned to work the night shift, patrolling 600 acres of land, a woman walking around in the mountains all alone in the dark, sometimes in the rain with only a cape made of straw. She remembered the Lord Jesus praying to God all night long. Even Jesus couldn't sleep sometimes. So she began imitating him and sang every single hymn she had learned since she was a child. And gradually the pitch dark night became a wonderful time for praise and worship when more and more joy filled her heart. The kind of rest that God gives is the kind of rest that even when there is hell around you, you can have paradise in your soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks for the rest that you give, the rest that you will give. Lord, we are, we are weary, and so many times we are weary because we're trying to do it on our own. We are running away from being dependent on you. And Lord, we ask that you would change our hearts. Lord, give us more and more of that deep, eternal rest that we long for. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.